welcome back to the socialist shelf this is part two of hp lovecraft's at the mountains of madness and i love the second half of this episode i think you'll like it too if you're enjoying this show please tell some people about it please follow us on twitter at socialist shelf uh, please rate please review whatever your app lets you do and hey um if you're interested in the show really interested why don't you send us a dm tell us a book you'd like us to read we would love to hear from you okay and with that let's get back into this discussion of this very strange novel So it's all, it's all, you know, uh, like a Russian nesting doll of horrors. And the real scary thing about Lovecraft is that you don't really know what's going on. And you never really will, no matter how intelligent the character is, no matter how clinical they are in their analysis, no matter what they do, to discover more is for things to get worse. Mm -hmm. And it's fun because scattered throughout this text, um, You'll see it if you've read uh, if you've read a little more of his uh, a few more of his works. Um, but there's references and peaks here and there to other things that he's written about, like very very early in the text. The color out um, of space is in there, I know. Color, yeah, the color out of space is in there, yeah. Um, and early in the text, he he uh, Dyer says that uh, you know he fancies he hears these uh, these kind of piping sounds on the wind, which as as you read further in the story, you realize, okay, well, this, well, that's kind of a mode of communication that these elder things had. But also, you can't help if you've read of if you've read uh, some of his other stories, you can't help but think of um, there is this entity called Azatoth, the mm. the demon sultan, the blind idiot god that sleeps at the center of the universe, and the universe is all a dream of his. And when he wakes up, everything will end. And in the court of this entity are these um mad blind flute players you know and the and their uh and their discordant piping is something that you can't help but think of when you read this um there's also reference to they have a copy of the necronomicon at yeah. the at miskatonic university which is this old ancient text full of uh full of forbidden knowledge um they mentioned Yogg-Sothoth at the end they identify the the um the forbidden sort of of lost area in in antarctica with this with this uh this fell um this fell landscape called the plateau of lang it's 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 stuff that that pops up elsewhere in lovecraft and that you immediately know that uh that shit's about to go downhill when you yeah. uh when you when you hear it yeah yeah I, i'm like looking at a connection to other lovecraft stories there's references there's shadow over Innsmouth, the thing at the doorstep the haunter of the uh, Hunter of the Dark. All of these have Shoggoths in them. The Dream in the Witch House has the Elder Things. Uh, I think Shadow of a T Out of Time even references Dyer actually on another another expedition. That's that's where his that's where his first name is um, is finally given to us. Yes, he um, it's him and one other dude going to the going to Australia. Yeah. Well, uh, have you have you read it? Uh, I have not read Shadow Out of Time. I've read I was most. Gonna of, ask what yeah. what possesses him to do more more investigating after all this. Um, I guess because he's just got nothing else to do. Yeah, guys got to make money somehow, you know. Exactly, been, you know, and that's, uh, that's depression he, times. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know. His, his, um, his, you know, Lovecraft's characters pop up again and again. So you know, there's obviously, there's obviously not one thing. Just there's, there's obviously not the one thing that says, okay, we're done. Mm, no, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So to to bring it back, and you know, this isn't a very long story. So you know, we're not. Uh, you know, talking about plot is not. Uh, you know, a super long thing. Really, they they go 
they see the city, they get scared away, they leave, they warn. It's really the kind of kind of the plot here. I'm, but they start wandering down deeper into the city and they realize some of these elder things, the one that killed their their uh, comrades, um, the ones that were you know somehow frozen and and had woken up, they're still here. And they're walking around and, you know, that at first the horror is, oh, these things are about. And now they're descending, doing the exact, really the exact same thing that our characters are trying to figure out what happened here because they presumably have been frozen for millions of years. And now these elder things, they are trying to descend into this black pit at the bottom of the city down to the uh, the subterranean ocean where their people have gone. And uh, by some, be it madness, be it curiosity, be it the scientist spirit, the uh, the arc two characters really want to know what's going on still, and so they follow at a distance. Um, and uh, they they creep down this old, this gigantic spiral uh, staircase down towards the black pit, and that is when I we get what what is probably my favorite quote from the book. Um, so I'm just gonna go ahead and read it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, Dyer hears a sound that freaks him out. Um, and, and it goes like this. And this is, uh, to me, indicative of a lot of things about Lovecraft that I do enjoy. Quote, Had it been some trace of that bizarre musical piping over a wide range which Lake's dissection report had led us to expect in those others, in which indeed our overwrought fancies had been reading into every wind howl we had heard since coming on the camp horror. It would have had a kind of hellish congruity with the aeon dead region around us. A voice from other epochs belongs in a graveyard of other epochs. As it was, however, the noise shattered all our profoundly seated adjustments, all our tacit acceptance of the inner Antarctic as a waste as utterly and irrevocably void of every vestige of normal life as the sterile disk of the moon. What we heard was not the fabulous note of any buried blasphemy of elder earth from whose super nail toughness an age-denied polar sun had evoked a monstrous response. Instead, it was a thing so mockingly normal and so unerringly familiarized by our sea days off Victorian land and our camp days at McMurdo Sound that we shuddered to think of it here, where such things ought not to be. To be brief, it was simply the raucous squawking of a penguin. Yes. I love it. I love it. It's <laughs> and, and and it helps because penguins are my favorite animals. So I, I oh, don't yeah. love penguins. Um and what he's referring to is he does this like huge thing of there in this moment where there's all this darkness and the howling of the wind and then they hear the squawking of the penguin and it brings them back into the world. And what's so scary about it is they're reminded, oh, we're still on earth. Like this is, this isn't another world. This isn't the moon. We haven't gone through a, to a, to a pocket dimension or something. We are walking on the earth. So it's very funny. It's very ridiculous. And yet you can imagine being this character and getting absolutely scared out of your mind by a penguin going like, squawk. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you know, you run into the, uh, you run into the snail that crawls slowly around. And if it, if it touches you, you die instantly. Right. You know, mm. you can't, you can't escape it. You know, you have to share the world with it. You know, you can go to another continent. Eventually it might catch up with you. It might take you years and years and years and years, who knows? You have to share the planet with it, you know, and that's and it's it's very much um, 
he's taken the mundane and he's managed to make it and he's managed to make it terrifying you know because of because of what lurks between the between his spaces right and what's further noted about it is you do actually have a sound horror moment later when they see the shoggoth and it is using the voice of the elder things um and then that is the actual terror to flee from because the penguins aren't the scary thing they're just this breed of gigantic penguin who are are mostly blind or just wandering around randomly and it's very funny to imagine them sort of bumping into each other and just walking Red around for livestock walking. yeah but uh but yeah so they descend further and then they find you know the bodies of these elder things who you know were trying to find the dark pit and it turns out the elder things got absolutely ripped to shreds too and he has this moment of actually um empathizing with the elder things actually um the uh where when he sees them ripped to pieces by this this thing that you know we'll find out as the shoggoth creature uh he feels this relationship to them and sees them almost as human he says like he says something along the lines of they were men i'm I'm looking i'm looking at the uh the the passage actually right now can i share it go for it go for it so let's see um yeah Poor devils. After all, they were not evil things of their kind. They were the men of another age and another order of being. Nature had played a hellish jest on them, as it will on any others that human madness, callousness, or cruelty may hereafter dig up in that hideously dead or sleeping polar waste. And this was their tragic homecoming. They had not been even savages, for what indeed had they done? That awful awakening in the cold of an unknown epoch, perhaps an attack by the furry, frantically barking quadrupeds, here he refers to the dogs, and a day's defense against them and the equally frantic white simians with their queer wrappings and paraphernalia, poor Lake, poor Gedney, and poor old ones, scientists to the last. What had they done that we would not have done in their place? God, what intelligence and persistence. What a facing of the incredible, just as those carven kinsmen and forebears had faced things only a little less incredible. Radiates, vegetables, monstrosities, star spawn, whatever they had been, they were men. Yeah. And, and and it is interesting because so much of Lovecraft's mythos is not being able to connect to things. So that moment of connection is like actually genuinely pretty unique. And it's the fake out before the big scare because you realize, oh, wait, well, there's still something. There's still some fell influence that that is um, that we can't comprehend or uh, don't particularly want to interact with. They just haven't found it yet. Yeah, the fake out bad guy, the the bad guy that eats the bad guy. You know, the oh, there's the the big fish that eats the smaller fish. That then yes. now you have to contend with the the truly massive fish. And interestingly enough, in a similar way to the true horrors humanity must face, are the things they bring into existence. The true horror they must face now are the things the elder things brought into existence. The shoggoth, which is just this this. I mean, it's almost indescribable. You know, you it's this mass of this weird gelatinous darkness with eyes popping in and out of existence, sometimes tendrils coming here and there. It uses the voices of its masters. It's unbelievably strong. It, it, it can do whatever it wants. It's, uh, it's, it's able to, it's sort of implied that it's got this massive intelligence. The Shoggoths are the ones who built this city that they're in now and the city beneath the, the deeps. Um, and they're they're so terrifying that he even says, you know, the writer of the Necronomicon, he uh, probably wouldn't have even imagined they'd come to Earth. He probably just thought they existed somewhere out in space. These things are truly horrifying, and they are not the children of space. They were brought to being on the Earth. 
exactly exactly brought to being on the earth and engineered as beasts of burden um that can basically shift and uh, you know take whatever form their uh, their masters need and desire and it's it's alluded to in the text that some of them eventually do develop intelligence and start to uh, and start to fight back you know it's it's that it's that um you know it's that pessimism of lovecraft again you know that what is convenient and what is necessary and what drives humanity to you know greater heights and enables them to create greater advancements and wonders and civilizations will eventually uh turn on them and destroy them yeah uh, and so and and this is you know i mentioned earlier that this is one of you know lovecraft doesn't have a lot of problematic elements in this in this story specifically one can you know create a narrative in which the shoggoth is you know his um you know supremacy though coming to play you know, mm-hmm. the concept of the great civilization whose, you know, beast of burden turns on him. I do Absolutely. wonder to what degree uh, Lovecraft's racism is, you know, bringing that, is is bringing the Shoggoth into existence. And I would further note the fact that he is a guy able to emphasize with these elder things and yet, or empathize with these elder things, It it wasn't lost on me that He's able to empathize with these creatures out of space, but he's not able to sort of empathize with his fellow man. Mm. Um, and, and that, you know, um, it's, 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 it's very, you know, he's able to see humanity in an elder thing and a creature with wings and tentacles and this and that. Um, and the fact that he's not able to do it in his fellow human being, um, you know, it, it, uh, it says unfortunate volumes. Well, yeah, because he, he empathizes, you know, not merely with the, um, not merely with that fellow man, not merely with that, um, you know, certainly he sees like intellectual curiosity and, uh, and, you know, all this, all the good things that he, that, you know, make up his ideal person, but irretrievably tied up in that is their, you know, material standing, you know, they are intellectuals and they have this intellectual curiosity and, you know, innate, innate, um, innate enlightenment, you know, which gives them the right to inherit the earth in 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 Lovecraft's view, you know, and so half the and so to him personally, you know, half the horror would have been that, oh, well, you know, these these creatures were even more advanced than we, you know, what's 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 stopping a similar decline um, in our in our uh, in our pursuit of civilization and enlightenment. Right. And I don't know that specifically what he was doing. It's just an interpretation I've seen reading about it. And it, it, mm-hmm. it would be, you know, remiss not to point it out. Um, Absolutely. But the Shoggoth is genuinely scary. And uh, I also resent it for eating the penguins because I, I love penguins. <laughs> um, it's a it's a bummer. Um, but uh, yeah, so they flee and they manage to get away. But in and, this. Sorry. And, go ahead. Oh, and they actually. um uh, I'll, I'll point out one of my favorite um, one of my favorite sentences in all of Lovecraft happens here. Um, mm-hmm. They're running away, as you say, and um, and they make the mistake that you know any horror protagonist makes when they're running mm-hmm. away. They look back. Always. Um, yeah. So we so we glance back simultaneously. It would appear, though, no doubt the incipient motion of one prompted the imitation of the other. As we did so, we flashed both torches full strength at the momentarily thin mist. Torches here referring to flashlights. Um, Because, you know, Anglophile that he was. 
either from sheer primitive anxiety to see all we could or in a less primitive but equally unconscious effort to dazzle the entity before we dimmed our lights and dodged among the penguins of the labyrinth center ahead. Unhappy act. Not Orpheus himself or Lot's wife paid much more dearly for a backward glance. Mm. You know, reaching di- reaching directly into um, you know reaching directly into Christianity, into Greek myth, and you're immediately um, you're immediate. It's 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 immediately evocative of the of the the er oh shit moments. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's the it's, one thing you, know, you can't terrifying. take back. And I mean, you uh, and and you can see like I mean, uh, if you just Google, you know, Shoggoth fan art there's a million and one interpretations i mean there's a general weirdness to it but it can't be summarized into any one thing because it is this ever-changing uh uh monstrosity this is with with things coming in and out of existence um because it's been created to have this great utility and now that utility has been turned into this destructive purpose I'm gonna um, be I'm gonna be really I'm gonna be really nerdy here, but um I was looking I was looking up um Lovecraft stuff and I just Googled Night Gaunt, right? Are you familiar with Night Gaunts? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The the other for, for the audience, um Night Gaunts are these creatures that appear elsewhere in Lovecraft. They're these winged uh horned beings that fly through that fly silently through the sky and they have no faces, you know, and they're, and they're straight out of Lovecraft's nightmares, literally. Um and if you Google Night Gaunt, you don't have to scroll too far to see, oh, people have drawn like uh, cute monster girl versions of this stuff, but they have faces. Yeah. Why give the Night Gaunt a face when their defining characteristic is facelessness? Anyway, sorry, that's been bothering me for a couple of days. <laughs> well, you know, they're gonna, anything that can have a uh, cute fan art is gonna have cute fan art. That's just like 100%. a rule. It's just an internet rule right there. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they run away and they they take off and fly away over the mountains. And then you have Danforth look back and he sees something that he will not reveal what he saw. And that's what puts Danforth over the line in a way Dyer doesn't quite go. Dyer still has his sanity. Danforth does not. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. We do not know what Danforth saw, um, but he starts ranting about the color out of space and this and that and the other. And I assume it has something to do with the, the great evil that lies um even further on into that waste that's in those mountains that even the 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 elder things wouldn't approach but we don't know and that's uh and i mean i don't know that lovecraft knew exactly what it was or what whether that was even the point what do you think yeah i don't think i don't think he needed to know i don't think we need to know you know it's it's one of those you know the meme that people have about lovecraft is that he just says oh you know this thing is uh indescribable man i'd describe it you know if i could but you just have to you just had to be there and i mean the whole the whole text puts the lie to that you know he describes alien geometries particularly in the call of cthulhu you know he Mm. describes how you know how you can kind of infer and divine the um the ins and outs of various of various ancient uh inhuman cultures just by looking at them but can't really can't really make that um can't really make that connection to uh, total comprehensibility and he has you know he has all these um he has all these all these evocative uh, vistas and 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 fantastical creatures that he describes you know as much by what they aren't as what they are you know so 
after all the, you know, after all the pages and pages of telling us about this art, about this architecture, about these ruins, about these creatures doing his damnedest to describe something that, you know, we haven't seen anything like on Earth since the Precambrian era, right? Once he gets all that description out of the way, it's what he doesn't say and what he can't describe. Right. That's like, okay, okay, now I get it. You know, it's 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 the sort of thing... Um, it feels earned is what I'm saying. Right. If, if you just read the lines about things that are indescribable and you assumed every line was that for, for 40,000 words, then you could, you would have a much more negative perception of what it was. Um, it, it, it is, it is the moment where, you know, you can't understand. Um, one of my favorite descriptions of Lovecraft ever is uh, what a Lovecraftian horror is, isn't, oh, scary, it has tentacles, but also a bunch of mouths. What Lovecraftian horror is, is what it would be like to briefly be an ant walking across a, a, a microchip or a, a, a computer. And for the most, for the most, um, in, 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 in feeling it like you are, like an ant would. And for them, for the briefest moment, realizing what a computer was and then losing all that because your ant brain can't retain that but you know these symbols have meaning that you can literally not comprehend and you are walking in something that forms this greater whole that is part of this greater world that you are not capable of even dipping your toe into and it's the fact that you even had that experience with it is so alienating and it is so foreign and it is so horrifying and it makes you so small that it makes you question everything that ever exists. And at the end of the day, all your intellectual powers, uh, all your uh, writings, all your everything, you are still just the smartest ant in the world. Uh, That is really what Lovecraftian horror is because there's plenty of people who can make big, scary monsters and we love big, scary monsters. I love big, scary monsters. Oh yeah. Uh, So does Lovecraft, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm not discounting that. That is (laughs) the, the, that is what makes a horror Lovecraftian in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. I couldn't have put it better myself. Um, yeah, that's, that's, um, so yeah, that's one of his one of his last and one of his longer works. You know, it's one of the few that um, I think the only the only thing he wrote that quali- that really qualifies as a novella. His travelogues aside, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, he, and as I said, you know, it was it was savaged by by critics. It wasn't really appreciated in its day, and you know, poor guy, he let that get to him. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because. I can see how there would be a negative critical response to it just in the sense of it's not exactly a page turner. Like it it does take some buy-in from the reader. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are looking for a book that is going to grab you and hold you, maybe it depends on the person. I'm sure I was certainly interested, but I was like, okay, I have to keep, I have to bring a little bit of myself to this too. Like I have to keep myself engaged here or you can kind of, um, it can kind of all run together, but I don't, I I don't take that as a criticism of the novel, but I can also see how someone, if they're looking for a pulpy monster story might be like, well, what's this? There's hardly any monster. Uh, There's what, where's the, where's the fighting? Where's the, this, where's the, you know, the chase scene lasts for a page and a half. Maybe Mm -hmm. I, I can see how, if you come in with the expectation of a weird tales kind of thing, um, you know, especially with the art that they had on there, 
um, which is I like, but it's it doesn't really represent the story very well. I can see how you would dislike it because it's very clinical. It, it reads almost, you know, it reads very much the scientist's text. Um, and, and it makes it, I, 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 it's like, it's not necessarily even my cup of tea. Like it's not really the kind of thing that I love. Um, but it, it, it does surprise me that it was so partially critiqued all that said, because man, it does have a lot to say and there is a lot to it. And it is very interesting. Uh, even though like me personally, it's not the kind of thing that I just would read a ton of. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, true to, you know, it's, you know, clinical, as you say, it's true to his, uh, true to the, um, true to the, um, man of science, man of letters. Um, although, you know, um, and yeah, you know, you're at, you're absolutely, you're absolutely valid in saying, yeah, you know, this, this prose is not, is certainly not for everyone. Um, especially he keeps going back to Nicholas Rorick, right. When he mm -hmm. talks about, about the landscape. So, you know, he does, he does repeat himself here and there, which is, um, it's, um, I can't think, of, I can't think of, uh, of another point in Lovecraft where he, uh, where he kind of, uh, beats a dead horse in that way. Um, I'm sure it'll come to me. Um, cause I haven't read all of Lovecraft. I've read most of him, but not all. Right. Um, but I tell you what, if you're looking for, he was very, he was capable of writing, um, faster paced stuff and more, uh, and stuff more appropriate to pulp. He fucking hated it. Like, mm -hmm. um, have you heard of, um, you've heard of his story, Herbert West reanimator. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he, he cranked that out just to make a quick buck, you know, right. zombie story, uh, you know, your, your bog standard, uh, zombie story. Um, and uh, yeah, he hate he hated it. You know, he thought it was puerile. He thought it was uh, one of the you know, I mean, he hated writing something for you know um, the lowest common denominator, right? Yeah, and, uh, it, yeah. And weirdly enough, that became one of his most famous uh, most famous works. You know, just if for no other reason than the nineteen uh, eighties uh, uh, adaptation of it. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I actually have a quote from Lovecraft that ties into a couple things we've been saying, both of him talking about this almost disdain for the bringing human emotion into things and also his uh, the idea of the alien. So I want to quote that here because it, mm -hmm. it works, I think. Absolutely. Just from one of his letters about his works. Quote, now all my tales are based on the fundamental premise that common human laws and interests and emotions have no validity or significance in the vast cosmos at large. To me, there was nothing but puerility in a tale in which the human form and the local human passions and the conditions and standards are depicted as native to other worlds or other universes. To achieve the essence of real externality, whether of time or space or dimension, one must forget that such things as organic life, good and evil, love and hate, and all such local attributes of a negligible and temporary race called mankind have any existence at all. Only the human scenes and characters must have human qualities. These must be handled with unsparing realism, not catch-penny romanticism. But when we cross the line to the boundless and hideous unknown, the shadow-haunted outside, outside being capitalized, we must remember to leave our humanity and terrestrialism at the threshold, end quote. And I mm -hmm. think he would refer to, uh, you know, these fast-paced stories these pulp this pulpy fiction as catch penny romanticism um as you know this this 
quick, this quick paced, you know, sort of thing, uh, bringing human elements, making uh, a, a monster story that brings things from outside the human realm and, and bringing in human morality and bringing in human feeling and all that, um, you know, to make it more relatable. I think he saw that as almost blasphemous to his project as a whole. Mm -hmm. exactly you know it's it's as much about what he doesn't reveal as what he does and actually it's it's um it's part of the reason why i'll make another recommendation to you um the music of eric zahn have you read that one no that's one where it's a it's a guy who is uh renting a room in paris he's a poor student and upstairs there's this dude who's um who's playing the um it's frequently described as a uh, as a violin but it's a it's a it's a viol it's a slightly different um mm -hmm. a slightly different uh, musical instrument um a violoncello perhaps and yeah he he's um he's a dude who lives upstairs and who plays with the orchestra and who plays these really weird bizarre um 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 pieces that don't quite conform to what he, to what uh humanity really uh really really knows or uh, engages with in terms of music and so right. you know that's the that's the story right the student's like okay so what's this guy's deal upstairs and what's he and uh what's he playing how is he playing it and you know what is he uh trying to ward off with this lovecraft considered that one of his um one of his better stories and it's my favorite because um because there's so much that it doesn't tell you you know it's i don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that you don't really get a satisfactory answer mm -hmm. very rarely do you mm -hmm. um I, I think lovecraft would feel like he had probably failed if there was a satisfactory answer oh, 100%. Uh, to the question the question Answers are always more questions. If if you find a solution to, okay, where did the elder things go? Then it raises the question, well, why aren't they there anymore? Well, what's down there? Well, what helped them do that? And then it raises more questions until you finally run up against the wall, until you're the ant trying to read JavaScript. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> uh, it, it and, and, that's, and, that, and that's where it comes down to. And that's what I can appreciate about it, even if it's not, you know, my, my favorite type of prose. And it's also how other writers can pick up on that and pull that, pull that in. And it's, uh, you know, it's why it's inspired so many people, you know, people of all, all types, all cultures, and, and not to say Lovecraft is the only person to ever do weird fiction um, or, or fiction of this type, but of course he's the most famous and he, he sort of brought this sort of thing to the fore, um, um, especially, you know, in, in, in Western literature. Um, so yeah, just thinking about um, on a sort of, a different note, but turning a little bit, thinking about the political aspects of this, and it, it is weird bringing in politics into this directly because, you know, this isn't a story about class. This isn't a story about politics, really. But it is a story about humanity reaching a point of no return. It mm -hmm. is a story about humanity investigating a culture of massive scientific capability that destroyed itself with its own scientific capability and also just general uh, internal decline. Um, and like I said earlier, this is the 1930s. Uh, that's a understandable sentiment. Global capitalism seems to be on its last legs or at the very least transforming, which indeed it was. Um, this huge conflict is brewing all over the world with uh, colonized people rising up as imperialism reaches higher and higher uh, forms. You see, obviously, uh, left-wing revolutions around the world, most notably in the uh, in Russia to become the Soviet Union. Um, 
you see the rise of fascism in Italy and in Spain and in Germany. Um, you know, you see all of this sort of coalescing, you know, coming to this apocalyptic head, which of course it will. We all know that it, it does come to an apocalyptic head. Um, you can see this sense of uh, of building dread that is coming into those works. So what I would ask is beyond what we already know about his, you know, white nationalism and his very specific type of white nationalism and his idea about the ideal form. What did Lovecraft believe politically? Because my reading shows a host of contradictions, to be honest. Yeah, he's uh, that's that's what I kept coming back to when I was uh, trying to see what this guy was about. Um, and you see it much more in his letters than uh, any of his uh, than any of his uh, yeah. um, fiction works, of course. Um, you know, not that I've not that I've read um, too too very many of his letters, but I, I do have some line around. Mm-hmm. Um, he's this weird mishmash of beliefs, right? You know, somebody who um again bourgeois background so he's used to a certain standard of living he's used to a certain um he's used to occupying a certain class position that depends on the immiseration of others mm-hmm. um and he gets a so he he comes from he comes from a family of lifelong republicans he voted for hoover in 28 um and he's he's actually a um he actually doesn't even like democracy he doesn't have a lot of kind words for democracy he's yeah, I'm not a, shocked about that yeah, he's a he's a monarchist. You know, he believes in an enlightened aristocracy uh, governing things, at least for most of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, staunch atheist. Uh, he himself is a teetotaler. OK, personal choice. He supported prohibition. Kind of cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, this is and this and, and this I. Uh, this I feel dirty to even know, right? He initially liked Hitler because he believed that he'd preserve German culture, though he disagreed with the specific manner of application of Nazi racial policies. Mm-hmm. Um, he soured on Hitler once reports of Jews being beaten and hounded out of public life started filtering out of Germany in the early 30s. So, you know, you don't get credit for that, Lovecraft, right? You know, you turn yeah, on... It's this, like, yeah, it's like, I don't, it's like, I don't like what he's doing. I just like that. It's like, he did the logical conclusion of what I believe. And now I'm, you know, my sensibilities are offended by that. It's like, no, he took what you believe to its logical conclusion. If what you believe is true, then that is what comes out of it. That you'd think that would make someone challenge what they think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was just so much, you know, like it's, um, uh, it's, it, it, I hate even I I hate I hate even discuss in even discussing it. You know, it's it's a uh, it barely it barely even counts as an evolution that he's like, oh, oh, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth. Right. The logical conclusion of what I believe happened. So now I'm against it. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, so he. Um, but the he great support depra- FDR, though. He did support, yeah, he did support FDR, which was interesting. Like the Great Depression shake, shakes his faith in an enlightened aristocracy. Um, he starts self-identifying as a socialist. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a Hoover to Roosevelt voter. Um, he doesn't think the New Deal goes far enough, but he figures that it's the best that we're going to get under our system. Um, he, and it's really weird. Like I, I I stumbled across this late as I was uh, flipping through a book of letters that I have of his, but um in a letter to his contemporary Catherine Moore, uh, he called Lenin one of the world's truly great men. Um, really? Called yeah, called Trotsky, you know, an irreconcilable firebrand preaching world revolution in exile. 
he said Stal- yeah. you know Stalin's a really major figure probably comparable only to Mussolini among living leaders so again you know he can't let go of uh he he can't let go of that fascist like sympathy you know he's like making- uh <laughs> uh the idea of the the centrist but the idea of you're a centrist because you're extreme on really everything yeah uh, and don't really have any middling your middle ground opinion you you average out at being a centrist because you have so many strong opinions on both sides yeah yeah you know and he's he's for he's for a lot of things that we would agree with right he's for economic planning shorter workday higher wages guaranteed income for the unemployed pensions um but he st- he can't let go of that sort of caste uh, system to society he still believes that there should be an oligarchy where power is held by technocrats by intellectuals by the educated you know um and he writes and here's and here's a, he's got a couple of quotes here from this letter that um that I think sum up the contradictions pretty well like he Go starts off with a like i think indisputably correct analysis of what uh, capitalism of how it holds back humanity and then he spins it off into something completely orthogonal so uh quote the greatest peril to civilized progress aside from an annihilative war is some kind of basically reactionary system with enough grudging concessions to the dispossessed to make it really work after a fashion and thus with the capacity to postpone indefinitely the demand of the masses for the real rights educational social and economic as human beings in a world where the great resources should be cornered by none right so he's like you know there's no there's no reason for um there's no reason for, you know, your educational, your social, your economic rights to be commodified, you know, in a world that's post-scarcity, you know, why should everybody, anybody want for anything? You know, he, he touches a little bit on the uh, issue of the labor aristocracy that we find in the, um, in the imperial core, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then he goes on to say that business and capital are the fundamental enemies of human worth in that they exalt and reward the shrewdly acquisitive, okay, rather than the intrinsically superior and creative. And there again, you're like, come on, Lovecraft, like fucking, (laughs) (laughs) like this stuff isn't innate. You know, it depends on your environment. It depends on what you're exposed to. You know, again, no prize for guessing which group he put himself into, you know? Exactly. He's that special cocktail. And the other, and that's the other thing, like he said, okay, he said, okay, you know, um, Russia did, did, uh, has done a lot of good things. Like it'll get, it'll, um, it'll uh sprint in terms of uh, raising the uh, standard of living for everybody but at what cost right? right you know like he he was that special cocktail of reactive and reactionary whose beliefs were shaped by whatever he felt would preserve a better version of his current existence you know he's definitely afraid of revolution because he thought it would destroy american culture and like you know howard got news for you that's kind of a thing that needs to happen that's what would happen that's what like a revolution entails but he's like he wants a transformation of society without there to be a fundamental transformation he wants to wake up and it's change exactly Um, or 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 rather like and and it's this sort of type of person who is like you know if i i i get the feeling he might be like really into like a city builder type video game or something like that Mm -hmm. or like running your own society sort of like getting to sim city like the idea of like, oh, if I could do it, it would be better. Um, like we should do things differently, but there's no real theory of change. And there's certainly no theory of solidarity mm-hmm. um, to bring about that change, right? Like he has this idea of people need to have their basic needs met, but he doesn't have this concept, um, the concept that is necessary to for socialism to exist in any form of 
a a class uh, analysis of a class of people who are the workers, you know, taking control of the world, the of of workers expressing their own power and having their own culture. Um, he, he doesn't really see it that way. He sees this idea of this aristocracy who maybe can rule and be benevolent. The idea of, you know, if he's not a monarchist anymore, he's the idea of a sort of a benevolent oligarchy. And, and then they can plan out and then they can give people pensions and can give people better working conditions. And the idea behind that is, first of all, would never happen. Second of all, if it did happen, those people still aren't free because if you if if your rights can be taken from you, if if you're not guaranteed your rights, you know, if you aren't uh, a part of that structure democratically, then that's not socialistic. That is that is a thing that's being handed to you. And in fact, those are the very concessions uh, that are he's criticizing in the first few sentences because he can't see beyond a, tra- a change of structure at the end of the day when he's talking about socialism, when he's talking about a transformation of society, he is talking about changes to the superstructure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, um, it's a limitation of his that he's never really able to transcend. But again, that's what makes his that's what makes his works so um, that's what makes his work so intriguing, you know, mm-hmm. because the um, he encouraged people to fill in the blanks. You know, he fostered a he fostered a. Um, he fostered a culture as, you know, gatekeeping as um, as he personally would have been about um, about language and about um, and about dissent and about culture and whatnot. He fostered a literary culture that encouraged people to fill in those blanks mm. and to pick up where um, where where he left off or failed to sort of expand. And it's it took on it took on a life of its own. Yeah. And uh you know, in here, here, you know, here we live with it. These things that continue to exist, and you know, uh, people, you know, know what Cthulhu is, if nothing else. You know, people know what what these things are. I, I saw someone just the other day who said, um, you know, R.I.P. to people in the uh, early 20th century. But if I saw Cthulhu, I'd be fine. Actually, I thought that was pretty funny. Like guy like me could see the uh, the elder things and the Shoggoth, and I'd be like, huh, that's interesting. It actually wouldn't wouldn't traumatize me. But I guess I'm built different. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've read about this shit, right? Yeah, like we've 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 spent time imagining it. It's uh, you know, <laughs> if uh, if if the stars aligned and Cthulhu did come out of the South Pacific and uh, start, you know, lumbering towards shore, you know, people people would put that shit on TikTok, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'd be posting through it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. What else can you do? Uh, and yeah, you know, it's... you get the sense. So, so would Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, what else is there to do? So yeah, so sort of um, just coming to final thoughts. Yeah, absolutely a figure full of contradictions, um, a a a life full of contradictions, a uh, and a um, a story full of contradictions that you know you have to you have to look at it for the elements that are 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 interesting and the elements that say something about the world and say something about his point of view, and it certainly says something about. Um, it says certainly it, it certainly says something about the society he was living in, and also it has been the foundation for so much. So much has grown out of it. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's something that you know you have to reckon with for better or for worse. And what we can feel even better about is you can read all of his stuff for free online, and you're certainly not giving any money to him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you want to get anything Lovecraft related, uh, you don't have to uh, feel the guilt that you might uh, giving to this sort of a problematic author in our current age. So, uh, you know, definitely recommend this uh, work if you are interested. Um, though, you know, the the Lovecraft is uh, a mixed bag. You know, I think what we've we've been as as clear as we clear as we can about that. But um, at the end of the day, um, history is messy and we have to deal with the contradictions in that. And we can't like every single author we talk about. Um, not everybody's going to be an Octavia Butler who I'm just like, wow, I, I wish I could hang out with this person all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as well, you know, again, the beauty of Lovecraft is that if you um, you would be, <clears throat> excuse me, you would be forgiven entirely for, you know, putting him for putting him down and uh, wanting to uh, <clears throat> go off and go off and uh, just read something else in that space. And there are plenty of options. You know, you have Kids Johnson, you have Victor Laval, you have, um, who's the, who's the author of, uh, oh yeah. Um, You have Lovecraft Country written by uh, Matt Ruff. Brilliant uh, TV show, by the way, I highly recommend it. You know, any number, any number of people that you can, that you can experience these, uh, these stories with. And, you know, if you want to take a dive, if you want to take a dive into uh, into Lovecraft proper, you know, cost you nothing. He certainly doesn't profit by it. All his shit's public domain. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, at the end of the day, if you don't want to engage with it, I think we just gave you a fairly good rundown of a basis, so you can get you can get into some Eldritch stuff and know some of the origins. So uh, you know, hopefully that was helpful. Yeah. Um, do read the thoughts? music of Eric Zahn. Do read the music of Eric Zahn. That is my final thought. If you read nothing else of uh, Lovecraft's, read music of Eric Zahn. Okay, I, I need to as well. I might, I might do that tonight. Absolutely, you could indeed do it tonight. It's like twelve pages. Okay, cool, cool. I, I, I will. All right. Um. Any? Yeah. If, if, if there is no final thoughts, I guess we'll close it out there. Thank you for listening. Um. You know. Um. Follow us on Twitter at socialist shelf we got the at so we're, we're, we're happy about that no one else has called this podcast name even though it's a solid alliteration and uh we really appreciate everyone who's listening be sure to uh let us know if there's anything you're interested in reading i know we're gonna go with a reader suggestion over the next few weeks uh we were we had a poll for uh what we should read out of all the reader suggestions and jurassic park one so we're gonna be diving into some jurassic park in the next few weeks though i think before that we have another text we're going to hop on, but yeah, we will uh, do that very soon. And uh, yeah, really appreciate you all for listening. Um, would you say uh, for a sign off for this one, I'm trying to think of a good quote. I'm trying to think of something to pull from. Until the stars are right. Until the stars are right. And uh, let's just hope the idiot God doesn't wake up before next time. Fingers crossed. All right. Talk to you later, everybody. Peace Bye. out. <laughs>